lift up our hands throughout the sanctuary. Lord, we give you glory, praise, honor. You are beyond compare. There is no one like you, Lord. We celebrate you this morning. We thank you for being in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for being on this journey called life. Thank you, Lord, that we're not alone. We give you glory and praise. We fill this place with gratitude, with worship, adoration. We recognize your awesomeness, Lord, in this house tonight. Lord, thank you, thank you, hallelujah, for blessing us, protecting us, guiding us, Lord, as we weave through day in, day out of life. Truly, you have been our protector. You have been our source. You've been our foundation. And today we give you glory, honor, praise. We recognize your awesomeness. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. God is good. God is good. Praise the Lord forevermore. Praise God. You may be seated in your place. Truly the presence of the Lord is in this place. And, and I need to make a connection right now. This didn't just happen because it happens to be a Sunday. It happens to be a moment where we gather. But what we're experiencing this morning here in, in this place, and I hope on the other side of that camera, you're sensing it as well, is the results of prayer and fasting and seeking the Lord. We have just completed 21 days of fasting and praying, and that doesn't just go up into a vapor and disappears. Uh, it's one thing, you and I receiving Christ as our Savior and embracing the good news, the gospel. And, and making a commitment to serve the Lord. That is offered to everyone, people that want to believe, people that don't want to believe, people that want to follow, don't want to follow. Even those that have these very strong feelings against the existence of a God, offered to everyone. For God so loved the world. But when it comes to a deeper walk, and when it comes to you being serious about your life decisions, and about striving to become a better person, a better husband, a better wife, a better father, a better individual, just a better person. That requires some steps of spiritual discipline. And uh, that doesn't, we don't, we're not, we don't become transformed simply because we attend service or because we clap or we can sing. We have a gift uh, to be able to get the congregation going. Uh, really, transformation happens as we embrace those disciplines. And the word discipline is correct. It's difficult. It, it's challenging. It calls us to task. But as we uh, engage disciplines in our lives, in every, every area, you, you, you can't lose weight by reading uh, dieting books. You have to engage the material. So you don't become holy by just reading this book and carrying a bit. When I first made my commitment to the Lord when I was 15 years old, because I grew up in church, but made a commitment to 115. I bought the biggest Bible you could find in my, in my juvenile innocence, thinking that that was going to substantiate. I got big muscles from that, but <laughs> physical muscles. Um, in order for you to strive forward and make 2021 different, you need to engage spiritual disciplines. That's the only way. That is the only way. And that means prayer 
That means reading the text. That means gathering for worship in koinonia. That means serving people. That means being serious about interceding before the Lord. And yes, even fasting and praying. And oftentimes we are excited and get motivated about the best thing that's going to happen this year because this is the year, this is the year. But that does not happen by hocus pocus. You have to be able to engage spiritual disciplines in order to be prepared to expand your capacity uh, to receive from the Lord. And so what we're experiencing today, certainly in the earlier service and even now, this, this place is glowing. And I don't mean just because of the new lighting or anything like that. It's simply that God dwells here. He tabernacles in this place. And that is because we're, we've been exercising ourselves toward holiness. Gubnadzo is the word in the original language. We're exercising ourselves into holiness. And I want to encourage you that way, that make sure you keep these disciplines part of your life. And by the way, the longer you serve the Lord, the longer you're walking in, in the ways and the paths of Christ, that doesn't ex exempt you from more spiritual discipline. You know, I have to pray more now than before. I have to make sure I go before God more than before. I need to uh, uh, demonstrate spiritual maturity more than ever before. Uh, to, to whom more, more is given, more is required. And I just want to encourage you that the blessings of the Lord is not you go into a, a machine and push buttons and all of a sudden it comes out. It requires effort on our part. Remember I've taught you there's things that God does and then there's things that you and I need to do. And so what we're experiencing here is that the results of that, that, that the, the fragrance of our time of prayer that is happening. And by the way, it continues. There's a, there's a group that meets every Thursday on a phone call. Been doing it uh, last year and continue to do it now. And we're the recipients of the, the aroma that they leave behind. This church has one of the, uh, part of the DNA, the spiritual DNA of this church is that we've always had a praying team. Always. Always, and we're, we're experiencing now that fragrance that is left behind by intercessors and people that knew how to intercede before the Lord. You know, I can speak of my parents and my, and my in-law, my mother-in-law, but others as well, that they, they literally have calluses on their knees, literally, because they learned the importance of that kind of prayer. And you and I, we enjoy the benefits of that level of sacrifice. So imagine if you, all of us together, uh, you know, joined in, united to intercede and seek the Lord and, and exercise our spiritual disciplines. Boy, if the devil felt beat up in 2020, he's going to be really beat up in 2021 and moving forward. Come on, you can clap at this time. Today's a special Sunday. We had a great Sunday last week, and it was wonderful. Great to be back worshiping together. But today is a day where I announced the theme for our church, and, and this theme is going to, to guide us uh, through the rest of this year, so you'll be hearing a lot of preaching, a lot of teaching and experiences, even in your own exploration of the text and of your own walk with the Lord, this theme rising to the surface. And the theme for this year is Speak, Lord. Speak, Lord. Speak, say it with me, Speak, Lord. And it's almost a plea of a child to an almighty God. Speak, Lord. Amen? My, my oldest granddaughter, she's uh, now a teenager, and when she was real little, she always used to say, pick me up, Mama, pick me up, wherever we were. If we were in the elevator, somebody would walk in, she didn't know, pick me up, because she wanted the security. So it's almost a command of wanting someone to aid you. And I think the theme is so appropriate. The Lord confirmed this months ago, and I'm delivering it to you now. Because in a time where we are not hearing God, in a season where everything has been shut down, 
And I, and, I, and, I, and I don't mean just in society. I mean, restaurants, I know they're going to open up the, uh, 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 Valentine's Day, they're going to open up here in the city, in the state of New York. But everything is shut down. You know, even the churches shut down, where everything that we thought was a solid foundation has been pulled away. And then on top of the uncertainty that we're all going through, because now we're closed into our homes. And by the way, now counseling continues to rise up for situations in the home because people are not, they love each other, but they're not used to living 24-7. Say hallelujah for somebody else, not for your home, but for somebody else. You know, you love them, but you're, you're glad they go to work, they go to school, but now we're all, say hallelujah for somebody else. It's not you, somebody else. If at any time we've seen society, culture, church, systems really being shut down, it's now. And then to couple the confusion that is arising by people they're saying God said when God hasn't said. So if at any time we need to hear, and I'm going to talk a little bit about this, so be prepared, buckle your seatbelts, because we're starting off out of the gate for this year. If at any time we need to hear the voice of the Lord, it's right now. Right now, many people, quote-unquote prophets, are cleaning up the prophecies that they gave last month. Because they said God said, well, they said, well, it wasn't really God. One prophet I heard is blaming the people that we heard the wrong thing. We have you on tape. What are you talking about? So we're in a time now of confusion, a, a time when things have been taken away from us. And I believe if there is a moment to hear the voice of God, it is now. Because we run the risk of building things that God wanted to intentionally dismantle in 2020. Going right and right back and going to the old way of doing things. And I'm not talking just about church. Uh, there is a reason why God has you locked up with your family. Maybe you should start loving your family in a different way. Otherwise, I'm not saying nothing new, but it, 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 if, it, if, it, if it's raining on you, don't open the umbrella yet because it's going to start a deluge in a few moments. If at any moment God wants us to reconsider those things that he dismantled, because I believe this virus, what it did, it executed for us God's purposes and plans because nothing happens out of his purview. It's not that God wanted us to get sick and wanted almost a half a million people, Americans now to die and, and the numbers just keep going up. No, no, that, that's not what I'm referring to. But God uses these things to teach us a lesson if we're sharp enough to listen. That's why speak, Lord. Because we do not want to put together things that God intentionally wanted this to dismantle. Our church services look different this now than it did last January of last year. Because perhaps, just perhaps, we were doing things that weren't really part of God's design, but made us feel good. That made us feel comfortable. That make us have a wiggle in our belly. Amen? And God wants to have us be transformed. And so he has ceased everything around us so that now... We're left in this moment, what do we do next? Great question. That's why we say, speak, Lord. Speak to us. And church, we need to get to a place where we develop our hearing ability. It isn't that God doesn't want to speak to us. He wants to speak to us. It isn't either that God has sent a word for us. God has sent the word. The problem is not God. The problem is not the message coming out of God's heart and God's, and God's mind. The problem is the receptors. We are hearing incorrectly. Why? Because there's a huge gap between the voice of God leaving God's lips to our hearing. There is a, a space that is in between there that a lot of interference and static can happen and make us think that we hear God, but we're not really hearing God. 
It has to be about, I was in a conversation with my wife on this subject, and we were talking, and, and she brought up an interest. It isn't just so much about hearing. She reminded me, it's a, it really is about discerning. It's being able to know that this is God. And I want to just tell you right flat out now, a lot of the things that we have heard have not been God. And I have come to the conclusion that if God, somebody spoke, a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine says, oh, no, 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 somebody is speaking. It isn't God. So if it isn't God, who is it? And that's what we need to get to. How do we discern? How do we navigate through all the static and the noises to make sure that we hear the Lord? Speak, Lord. Speak into my life. Speak into, into this church. I've, I've selected the text from the prophet Isaiah, which is interesting. The prophet Isaiah, uh, chapter 30, verse 21, is the, 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 the verse I want to launch from. And it says the following in the NIV, whether you turn to your right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. This is the prophet Isaiah speaking in the shadows of Moses, wanting to see the presence of the Lord, wanting to see Jehovah, the God of Israel. And the Lord told him, no, you can't. You'll see my back. You'll hear the voice ricocheting off the mountain. But it won't be, why? Because the human being, the human person, we're not capable to be able to experience God in that level of fullness and live to tell the story. You might think you're pretty, and you are. You might think you're wise, and you are. You might think you're the best thing that ever happened. But you and I are not capable to withstanding a pure God speaking directly to us. And so the prophet Isaiah shares it with us this way. You're going to hear voices on your right. And voices on your left. And you know that it's true that when we're walking and somebody's calling us, depending upon your dominant side, if you're right-handed and somebody's calling you behind you, you usually tend to the dominant side, so you turn to your right. And what happens when you turn to your right to see who's talking behind you, that deviates you off the path. Because I don't know about how, how ambidextrous you might be or how athletic you might be. The moment you turn, your body starts to turn that way. I was going that way, but now I'm going this way. So the prophet is using words that the audience will understand. And now that I gave you the explanation, you'll understand it why. So if you hear from your right, don't turn to your dominant side right. If you hear to your left, don't turn to the dominant side left because you might miss what God has to say to you. And lend your ear to the voice behind you. And behind you doesn't mean a forgotten personality. No, no, no. It just means that God's got your back. Did you hear what I just said? God got your back. If you recall, about five years ago, I preached a sermon on that thing. God's got your back. He's going to push you through. He's behind you watching out. You know, I, I, I have two grown sons, and now I'm blessed to have my grandkids. And I like when we go outside, I'll walk behind them. Because I'm only five foot eight, but when it comes to protecting my family, I'm nine foot seven. <laughs> and so I walk behind them. Why? Because I want to make sure. You know, one of my little girls was learning how to ride the bike, ride the bicycle. And they, you know when they go, they go here. And I'm right behind them, right? That's the place where I can protect them. I can watch them. And if somebody gets in the way, God be with them. <laughs> God's behind you. He's behind your family. He's behind your life. He's behind your health. He's behind your sanity. He's got your back. He's going to see you through. Don't ever feel alone. He's got your back. So don't turn to the right. Don't turn to the left. Hear the voice behind you, and the voice is saying, this is the way, walk in it. In other words, keep going straight. Keep going on the path that God has taken you. And why is it so important, church, for us to be able to hear God in this season? Why do we want that question answered? 
Why do we, why is this so important? You know, there's so much going on. Why can't we just go back to church the way it was? Why can't we go back to the way things were? Well, let me submit to you that unlike the rest of creation, you and I are particularly made in the image and likeness of God. And inside of the wiring that God has done inside of us, the way he has created us intrinsically inside, there is this deep down yearning for truth, for meaning. I know I'm speaking to many pet lovers here, so I would never speak against that. They're, they are God's creation as well. But God created your little dog and your little uh, cat and whatever pet you have in a different way than you and I. Your dog does not sit there or lie down on your lap thinking, I wonder what my future is going to be like. The animal creation, nature's crea creation, unlike man, was done to operate in uh, by instinct. So the animal knows. You don't even have to speak to your dog sometimes. You get up and you know you're going to take him for a walk. He just knows, right? We're different. We're creative. We sit there and, and ponder deep questions like, where did mankind come from? Is there life in other planets? Is this vaccine? Because last time I heard, there was no horse that developed the vaccine. There was no monkey. Monkey went to, the, to, to space because man put him on the spaceship. The monkey didn't get up and say, why don't we, two or three of us, get on a spaceship and go to the, back in the 60s, right? Man is different. Please understand, you are a special creation made in the likeness and image of God. And we have this yearning for truth. Animals don't have that. Animals simply react to the moment. There's no, no, no chicken can take credit for building a bridge. Crossing the road maybe, but no building a bridge. No, no animal, and I'm not. I'm saying animals have their place, but we have our place too. We are called and fashioned by God to manage this creation that we see around us. We are responsible for global warming. We are responsible to to, to grieve. I read this week, and I actually felt bad because a few years ago we had the privilege to go down to California, gigantic trees, the sequoias, and there was a huge storm last week, and 15 of them fell down. They had to close the park. That park is actually closed. Those things live for thousands of years. Huh? And the animals, the birds that were inside those trees, oh, they found another tree. But humans, you and I, we grieve, we mourn. We, we, we have loss in our lives, but we're also creative and we're inventive. And that when God breathed into us and formed us from the dirt and breathed into Adam, we became a, a unique creation. Uh, can, can I just help you right now for this year? You're not garbage. You're not a second-class citizen. God is proud of the masterpiece he created. We mess up the masterpiece. But God is proud of you. When he looks at you, he looks at you and smiles. In spite of all the decisions we make to tarnish that masterpiece creation. Can you say hallelujah for a moment at least? So deep down inside of us, there's this deep yearning to be able to get to truth and understand meaning. And is there life after death? And why is abortion good or bad? What does that mean? When does life actually start? At the time when the, the, the cells unite inside of the womb, is that the case? Or is it later on when the person actually comes out of the... All these questions. Animals don't ponder those things. You and I. We think about retirement. Your dog, the dog is convinced that you're going to take care of them forever. Convinced. You and I question, explore, invest, counsel, and receive counsel because we have this deeply seated yearning, wooing, magnetism, pulling toward truth.
And I'm glad you concluded that with me, that that's why we need to have God speak. Because in the world that we're living right now, as we're going and navigate through life, the only place that you can find truth, absolute truth, is God. You know what? Whether you believe in God or not, as we say in the Lower East Side, He's still be God. He is still God. Whether you claim to have an, uh, uh, an affinity with Him, connected with Him, or you don't, you don't even believe that He exists. God is. We have to realize that all truth emanates from God. He is actually, actually what they call absolute truth. That even if you understand Him or don't understand Him, He just still is. Even if, you don't embrace, even if you embrace him or not, he still is. He doesn't need mankind to define him because he is undefinable. Just when you think you know him, he slips away from you, Dr. Sullivan says. Just when you think you're getting to understand him and, and, and get a grasp of him, all of a sudden he just disappears into, into, into his cosmic existence as God. When you say you know God, that is a, an infantile statement that we made, and I make it as well. We know God based on the resources that we have and the capacity that we have to understand the divine. But we don't know God. We will get to know him when we're out of here and up there in eternity. Then the curtain gets pulled back and you go, oh, so that's who he is. Even the gender uh, definitions or, or uh, labels that we put about, now I know who he is. Those are limited because of our limited capacity. We actually limit God in our understanding of him. Are you still with me? I don't think I'm going too deep because I know you, you guys are real sharp. I know, I've talked to you. And so God is not, not only do we have this yearning for truth, but also God is a God that is truth. Truth emanates from him. Truth emanates from him. There is no duplicity in God. God doesn't change his mind. Uh, how many people have photographed, how many people have ever, have ever been involved in selfies? You lying right now. You're not raising your hand. You liar. You liar. I call you a liar in 2021. <laughs> I have a picture in my office one day when you behave, misbehave and I have to call you to my office to reprimand you. Remind me to show you the picture. I have a picture of me downstairs in my office that when I look at it, it just gets so sad. Huge afro, <laughs> thin, 145 pounds, 28 waist. All right, let me leave it there. We don't look like we used to look. And for many of us, that's good. Yeah. Hallelujah. But we just don't look like we used to look because we change. But you know what? God, because time emanates from him, so because it emanates from him, it has no effect on him? Has no effect on him? Because he absorbs time. Time came out of him. He is the, that's why the Bible says he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Because truth is not transitory. Truth always exists as it is. It does not, it does not need to be qualified. It does not have to be even defined by creation. Creation itself comes from God. So we have an intrinsic yearning for truth. Then we have to realize that God has no duplicity in him. He loved you. He loves you today the same way he loved you when you, when you were born. He didn't wait for you to realize that he was God. He still loved you. Nonetheless, he loves you because he created us. He knows none of us are an accident. There is no duplicity in him. And you know it's true. We're living in an age of duplicity. 
I have become more suspicious and guarded of anything I hear. When, in fact, the last week I hardly watched the news because I don't believe it. I don't believe this one. I don't believe that one. I don't care how many Emmys you got and how many Pulitzer Awards you have. I just have this big question mark and doubt whatever you're saying because it just not, does not make sense. And we're living in a world of duplicity. Right now, down is up and up is down. Truth is a lie. Lie is a truth. That's the world that we're living in. And coming out of all agencies and systems that we live in. I mean, and you know this. I'm just saying something you already know. It isn't a generational thing. It isn't unique to the American experience. It's part of the context of man's deformity, that we have fallen so far away from God that what is supposed to be isn't. And you have to question everything that's going on. You can say hallelujah. In fact, the only solid proof, solid rock proof that we have is God. God was yesterday, is today, and will be tomorrow. His love is everlasting. He is beyond the mind to be able to comprehend. He is so powerful that he speaks things into existence. He is an incredible God that you and I cannot define or cannot understand. Because even in our ridiculous way of living, he still loves us. Hallelujah. And I'm not dismantling systems. I'm just calling it the way it is. That's the world that we live in. You have to cite. You have to have proof. And some of you need to be careful because I do skim through some of the social media things. You're saying things that are just not true. I know when I'm, when I'm reading some stuff, I know that you did not research. Cutting, pasting from somebody else doesn't mean that that should be your opinion. Come on now. In fact, you're looking bad. You look bad on social media. I've read stuff, I said, that can't be so-and-so. I know them, they were here Sunday. I see them right now. <laughs> that can't be them. They cannot believe that. Because we have become so naive that we think that Google is truth. They got the first letter right, G. God is truth, not Google. Come on, give a little a clap offering of praise to them. So I, and I, and I, I want to take my time on this because I'm building the foundation for the rest of this year. So we have this yearning inside of us for truth. God is truth. There's no duplicity in him. I like this definition. God, and you may want to write this down. This is important. God is, consistent, is eternally consistent. Con eternally consistent. Today we live, and you look at the, some of the posts that we find in, in the, these magazines and, and papers, Oh, I love you till the, the day, the, till the, the, whatever, the, I love you till the, the deserts, whatever, these phrases that we use, right? I'm, I'm losing it right now because it wasn't in my nose, but I know what I want to say. I love you forever. Three years later, two, not even three years, two months later, oh, I don't know. And then in the church, we have people, no, no, God told me it's her, it's her, it's her, it's him, that's the one. We do the happy dance. Three months later, I don't know what God said. Come on, you can say hallelujah now. You know it's true. You know it's true. God called me. I'm going to be a single person. God gave me strength. I'm going to do it. And all of a sudden, things start to change. And got to be careful. God is eternally consistent. What he said about you yesterday, he's saying about you today. What he's saying about you today, he's going to say about you tomorrow as well. People are flaky, and they bounce off. Just because people click that they're your friend does not mean. But he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. When you behave or when you misbehave, he is there all the time for you. Come on, if you're going to clap, clap for real and give the Lord praise. So we have this deep yearning for truth. God is truth. There is no duplicity in him. He is eternally consistent. You can rely upon him. The market, the stock market goes up and down. Right? And it's changing. All, it's volatile. But God 
is eternally consistent, never changing. In this world of misstatements, of lies, of exaggerations, the only source of truth we have is truth himself, which is the Lord. That's why John, inspired by the Holy Spirit in chapter 8, verse 32 of the fourth gospel, quotes Jesus as saying, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If there was a time when we needed the Lord church, it is right now. If there is a time where we needed an anchor to hold us firmly, it is right now. If there is a time where we need to be fed by someone that we can trust, it is right now. I want to encourage you today. We need to unhook from all of these philosophies that we're hearing all over the place and hook up to the philosophy, the theology, the story of God, his love story with us, and make that the foundation of what our life should be. Come on, praise the Lord with me for a moment. So how does God actually speak has to be the question. How? Pastor Mark, tell me, I'm, that's the theme for the church, speak Lord. But how, how do I know that it is God? You need to have discernment. You've got to be careful. Uh, I believe that everything God wants, and this is the way I, 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 this is the way I fly. This is the way I roll. When anybody tells me, Pastor, I have a word for you. God told me something about you. I quickly run to Scripture. I want to make sure that it's in here. If it's not in here, it can't be in Reader's Digest and in People Magazine. It's got to be here. Right? The Bible says clearly Paul's counsel to the church in Corinth. In part we know and in part we prophesy. And what he's saying there, opening the door, that you need to be able to discern. Not everything that is said of you is God. That's why you, somebody told you, you need to leave your job because that's what God said. You do it and it wasn't God. And all of a sudden you're in worse condition now. You should have stayed in the old job earning the lower money then. I'd rather have peace than tons of money. It, am I saying something? Come on. You can, don't look at me like that. <laughs> We need to be able to, to verify how does God speak. I think we need to get to a place where what does the Bible say? Because if it's truth, if he's truth and this is revealing to us everything we need to know about him, then what is God saying? We need to be careful who we listen to. When you pro, the pro, one of the things I find, and I did a, a, an in-depth search myself personally before I, in preparation for this, because the Lord gave me this theme back in July, so I have had time to explore. And you know, and the prophets of old, whether it's the major prophets or the minor prophets, when they brought, brought a word from the Lord, they suffered the consequences of that word. They, did not, they were not exempt from calamity visiting the people. Tapped into that uh, strike of God against the people first. Second thing about the prophets that I discovered is that they, didn't, they weren't wishy-washy. They didn't have to backpedal. When they stood up and say, thus saith the Lord. They knew it was going to be a rough word, but they were going to say it because God told them. And when you see people today backpedaling and saying, well, that's not really what I meant, or, or you heard me wrong, that's backpedaling. That, that tells me God did not speak. Because a prophet understands they're going to suffer the consequences also. The prophet in the Bible also moves forward totally confident. This is what the Lord is telling me about you. This is what the Lord is telling about us. The other thing I found, I, I, you have your seatbelts, help your neighbors fasten their seatbelt for a moment. <laughs> Nowhere, I've done a research, and if I'm wrong, this is based on what I've seen. I've reread, and I've looked at it all over in preparation for this Sunday. I don't find anywhere in Scripture where God endorses a candidate. Nowhere. Can you say zero with me? Zero, that's how many times I have found it in Scripture. Zero. So 
I believe an utterance was given. I don't believe it's of God. In fact, people have gone so far, and you've heard this, that you can, there's no way you could be a Christian based on what you just decided about the political climate. I don't find that in Scripture. Let me go a little further because some of you are looking at me real funny right now. If you look in Scripture, the prophetic words that were brought forth, and again, this is upon my review. I'm not the ultimate authority, so I'm submitting this to you, not arrogantly, but actually very humbly. When the prophetic words were brought by Isaiah, Jeremiah, the, the major prophets or the minor prophets, or Hosea, uh, Oseas, I had to think, I'm thinking in Spanish, any of the prophets, it was always a corporate word. It was a challenge to the people because they have neglected the God of Israel. Those aren't the words that we're hearing right now. They, some of the words we're hearing is, you got to do this, and you got to decide this way, and this. No, in fact, the prophetic word should never be political. It should be nationalistically corporate. It should be a word to the Lord. When the people of Israel uh, walked away from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God spoke to the people. He didn't establish a king. He didn't establish a ruler or, or someone ruling over them because that's what, no, no, God doesn't work that. There's only one king. There's only one ruler. There's only one, you'll see it in a little while, there's only one personality that God, the Father, lifts up because he is the, the, the epitome of what God once demonstrated for us. It's not man. God understands and understands it to the prophets that every single human being is flawed. Every person is flawed. And I'm not encouraging one, pol one political philosophy at all. I'm just saying when it comes to mankind and when it comes to what we have seen this season, we need to be careful, church. God does not endorse the candidate. God does not have a political platform. None at all. God is, 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 is engaged and engaging in issues that are contrary to the word of God. So yes, I am anti-abortion. Yes, I am. As a pastor, how I apply it, God still loves a person that for whatever secret reason they had to do an abortion. I'm not justifying. I'm just saying that's what it is. God hates divorce, the Bible says. But as a pastor, I need to be able to accommodate the love of God for that individual, not change the gospel, not change the story. God hates liars. In fact, the Bible says they're going to hell. Right? That's what we have to teach because it's here in the application of that truth. Then we have to be able to realize that although that has happened, you confess, God forgave all of that, and then you can start all over again. Whether it's abortion, whether it's a lie, whether it's uh, divorce and remarriage, all that, God accommodates. That's what the gospel story is about. It's about accommodation. We could not, so God came down, and he made up the difference. You're real quiet right now. I know this is heavy stuff. But that's the way it is. Preach what is in here. God does not, does not, I want to say it again, does not accommodate. I'm again, I'm also, you know, let me tell you something else. I'm also against capital punishment. I believe the Bible is clear that the guy on the cross, he was sentenced a capital punishment death on the cross next to Jesus. And right there, the Lord, in the last moment of his life, in the 11th hour, 59th minute, the doors opened up for heaven when Jesus declared, today you will meet with me in paradise. I'm embarrassed by this country and what we do to people that are incarcerated. Leave them in there. If they committed the crime and it can be proven, leave them in there. Get the people that are innocent, get them out of there. But I, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't have the right to determine the beginning or the end of somebody's life. 
And what we saw happening in this country just during the time of the election, that cries before the eyes of God. And specifically, I'm talking about five individuals that were executed. No, not even executed. They were murdered by the laws of this country because they committed a horrendous crime. Definitely a horrendous crime. The woman, it was a white woman that was killed. I don't know if you know, you read the story, because this really stirred me. I went before the Lord so often and said, Lord, but how can we allow that, this? It was a, a woman that was mentally retarded. She did a horrendous crime, horrendous crime. But my goodness, church, we need to be the salt and the light. Let's leave her in jail or put her in a mental institution for the rest of her life. Why not? That's what the gospel calls for. But we have churches parading. And we say, no, but, you know, uh, it's got to be, uh, we got to be against abortion. Yeah, but we got to be pro-life too. God cries when we allow children to be locked up. God cries when they cut benefits for individuals. God cries when we're kicking people out of their house. God cries. The church needs to be pro-life. Carry you from the time you were conceived all the way to the time you're dead. And I believe this country has a responsibility to meet those needs. And when they care, the Bible, I'm getting all excited. I'm going to come down in a minute. I'm going to take my pill. Hold on. <laughs> There's no pill. Because, church, how long are we going to put up with this? And we're, built, we're being delivered a bill of goods that are not biblical. We cannot, I can't fathom in my mind how we can be pro uh, 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 capital punishment. I don't understand that. I don't understand how we can just be pro uh, uh, anti abortion. We got to be pro life. That we take care of, that we give them. This country, well, you know, you ever know, one thing that has been blowing my mind, I know what you're going to tell me, but it's just been blowing my mind. All of a sudden, we're getting all these trillions of dollars available to send it to people that don't know how to manage money, and they're going to spend it away. Some people already have their advanced money already spent. And we can't educate our kids. We send billions and trillions of dollars across, and I believe we should help other nations. But we can't, we have to rebuild. School buildings have to be rebuilt, by the way, because of COVID. They can't meet social distancing requirements any longer. And we're, we're having to fight because we can't build new schools to, build, to, to educate our, our children. God is a pro-life God. He's watching you every step of the way. And we have been sold a bill of goods that are not true, and we have put, we have put up with that. And I'm saying, and I'm, by the way, I'm very pro-American. I really am. My, my first allegiance is to God. I belong to that kingdom. So I might not have a mansion down here, but I'm going to have a mansion up there. <laughs> but we need to realize where we are. Don't go by what people are saying. Go get, that's why spiritual discipline is discovering the word. And God is against some specific things, and we're allowing. And then we, we, we drink the juice, the Kool-Aid. And then we say, here, take some of this Kool-Aid too. God, rebuke you. Don't come talking to me. And I'm telling you very honestly, I'm not mad. I'm not angry at anybody. Just in case you say, 2020 is not about, 2021 is not about me being upset. Frustrated, yeah. Stop saying that this country was founded as, an, as a Christian nation. That just is not true. I studied in public school. And there was no, oh, the book said it, but when you started to dig in a little deeper, see, because I became a critical thinker, and I learned the stuff that I, I learned how to study really from public school. I didn't go to an elite school. My parents didn't have it like that. We lived on Madison Street, not Madison Avenue. So I went to public school. And as I studied, I realized, wait a minute, you know what the God of this country is? And I'm not speak. this is not an anti-country uh, uh, message. I'm glad I'm in this country. I love the freedoms that are here. 
I'm, I'm where I'm at because of this country. But what is wrong is wrong. And the God of this country is, is the dollar. That's the God of this country. Jesus is off the throne a long time ago. The only thing about God on our monetary system is that it says, in God we trust. That's it. And you say, oh, come on, Pastor, you're being cruel. I'm being cruel. Let's go back 30 days. <clears throat> 30 days. You ready for this one? Because you can disagree with me. Just prove your point. So I'm not going to state something that I can't prove. Records show not only financial records in the federal government, but all the financial magazines and reports that you can that emanate out of Wall Street. That rich people have gotten richer. And poor people have gotten poorer during this pandemic than ever before. The God of this nation is the dollar. Some of you have lost your jobs. They love you. You've been there forever. They love you. They think you're the best thing that ever happened to them. But at the end of the day, the, the numbers didn't add up. Bye-bye. Church, that's the truth. I know they told us that they came over. The pilgrims came over on a boat, landed in a, an island called Manhattan. And they discovered. They did not discover. They conquered. It's a whole different word. Amen. Maybe the American Indians have a, have a point. You know, we, 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 we killed and slaughtered. And the, I remember the story. I was going to PS4. I mean, uh, yeah, PS, I want to, I'm PS3. Is that PS4? PS4 and then PS2. I went here because I'm from down here. And I remember they used to tell this beautiful story about, you know, they came over and they landed in Manhattan and $24 worth of trinkets and they bought, you know, the... the, the come on, man. I mean, I mean come on, folks. <laughs> I almost did a Joe Biden. Come on, man. Stop that. The Indian tradition was that when an, a, a visitor came into their presence, there would be an exchanging of gifts. In fact, in many cultures, including my Latino culture, is that way. You don't go to somebody's house empty-handed. The tradition. Sometimes we do it now. We're too Americanized. But you bring something. So when they landed in Manhattan Island, which wasn't called Manhattan Island, but we're on Manhattan right now, had an Indian name, the derivative of what we have today of, of Manhattan, they uh, offered trinkets. And the Indians on the other side... The Indians that were resident here in this area of, of New York, at that New York now, but it was in New York back then, they were receiving gifts and giving gifts as part of their tradition. The European settlers that came in said, oh, by the way, we just bought, because they're transactional, and money is what drives. So this whole thing about religious freedoms, that is not why. So they came over, they gave the, the trinkets, and they thought, oh, right away. So when the, when the Indians, because in the Indian tradition, land is owned by the collective. So there's no boundaries in Indian village living. It's owned by the collective people because it's a gift of God, whatever God they worship, the gift of the divine. So everyone enjoyed the fruits of the, of the land. So now they come in, the European settlers said, wow, we gave them $24 worth of trinkets. And by the way, who calculated that? But anyway, $24 worth of trinkets. They thought now that they have right to the land. The Indians say, wait a minute, but this land belongs to everybody, to you and to me. So the Indians pushed back on that, and what did the settlers do? Killed off the Indians because now they were being savages. And that's the narrative we've been giving. I read nowhere in the Bible, especially in the New Testament experience, where that is condoned. We have to value everyone. The gospel teaches us that for God so loved the world, regardless of social status, economic condition. I know I'm giving you a little bit of a history lesson, but if we want God to speak, 
we need to realize that it is not being heard from the pulpits across this land. It's not being heard from the places of power across this land. We have to listen to God and hear what he has, he has to sell, tell us. Say hallelujah, praise the Lord. Do something right now. How does God speak? Let me submit to you that God speaks through nature. Uh, nature. God actually yells at us sometimes through nature. How many people here have ever seen a rainbow? You cannot, you know, by the way, rainbows are always the same color, and the sequence is always placed in the same way. The sequence of colors in a rainbow, you look it up, Google it later on, not now, Google it later on. The sequence of colors is always the same, always the same. That's the way it is, right? I used to know them in order, but I'm not going to repeat them right now. In, you look it up. Who told the red to be the red? Who told the yellow to go there? Who told the colors to align that way? It was not NASA. It was not NASA. There's no way you could see a rainbow and not feel a sense of awe. There's no way. Because you don't know where it comes. Uh, last year, we were, we were, I forget where we were, and um, when you were allowed to travel further than Brooklyn, you know? Yeah. <laughs> we were somewhere. And I remember that morning, there was like a double rainbow. I had never seen a double rainbow. And you couldn't tell, and you can't, and why was the word? You, you couldn't even say it backwards. Why? Because you don't know where, where, it has to create a sense of awe. Pastor E and I, a few years, well, several years ago, <clears throat> 2006, we had an opportunity to visit Africa. And we were there for almost three weeks teaching. And, and we, we talk about this often. We would come back after a day of teaching and go back to the place where we were staying. And, and it looked like the stars at that night were right there. Like you can take them and put them in your pocket. So whether you are Christian or not, creation is telling us there is a God. If you have an aquarium with tropical fish, you look at those fish. Man did not paint. Although you know you can buy painted fish. I don't know if you know that. You go to a pet store, they paint them for you, whatever color you want. It's true. Alive. Alive. If you do that, don't tell me. I'm going to be really upset at you. I don't think we can perfect God's masterpiece creation. But these, if you have a little dog, your little dog is intuitive, understands, almost can speak to you. Right? Nature has a way of speaking to us. That's why we need to be concerned about nature. And we need to be concerned about the way the world is reacting. They're saying that, and this part I'm grieving a little bit, they're saying that in another 20 years, every single car produced here in America will be electric. You know, I know internal combustion, you know, carbon deposit, but I, I like internal combustion. But anyway, I'll adapt. We need to be concerned about that nature. The heavens tell the glory of God, and their expanse declares the work of His hand. The word uh, uh, tell and the word declares in the original is not just telling. It's almost shouting out. Declares. That's what the heavens do. They, the heavens declare the glory of God. So nature speaks to us. If you want to hear God, take some time and walk up and down the East River Drive Park. You say there's a lot of crime. Forget the crime. Just look at heaven. <laughs> go, go, on, go, on a, go to one, a, a, a botanical garden and see the flowers. And you say, oh, you're being so trivial and rom maybe romantic, but not trivial. That, that speaks to you. Nature has a way of shouting at us. And we're part of that tapestry of creation. Can you praise the Lord with me for a moment? So nature, nature, nature. The heavens tell the glory of God and their expanse declares. But there's also several examples. I just want to give you two because I want to give the pastors an opportunity to preach their sermons throughout the year about, with examples from Scripture. I don't want to take all of them, but I want to take a few of them. So... So nature speaks to us, but also God has a way of speaking to us in weird ways. 
weird, right, Reverend Isaac? Weird ways that he just, because that's who he is. He could do whatever he wants to. He's sovereign, satisfied within himself. I, I like to give you the example that's found in Numbers 22 of Balaam and the donkey. His donkey spoke to him. You read the story later on, Numbers 22. And not only that, the, the donkey didn't want to go where he wanted. And depending upon the version of scripture you have, it defines the animal in a different way. But I'm going to use donkey. The donkey that he was riding all of a sudden was not moving forward, was stopping. And then Balaam started whipping the donkey and whipping him because he didn't like what was going on. And then in, in uh, verse 24, it says, uh, I'm sorry, 27 of that passage, number 20, Numbers 22, it says, When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam was angry and struck the donkey with his staff. Verse 28 says, Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. When I read this, I say, Lord, I'm okay listening to your voice. I don't need a horse talking to me. I don't need a chicken talking to me. I don't need an animal talking to me. I believe this happened, but I, Balaam needed that. But my, I, Lord, I'm being you like this. We're like together, so I don't need that kind of intervention. But unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, for, you, for me, I don't know, because I'm reading scripture the way I think you should read it as well. I'm like astounded. So he, the heavens declare he speaks that way. And then he speaks through craziness of creation that doesn't make sense only to him. I mean, wouldn't it be better for the heaven? Because this is the way we think. God's going to speak to me. The heavens is going to open up. And then the thundering voice of James Earl Jones will, will, will thunder through the expanse and everybody will hear, Mark Rivera, I love you. I've called you. I'll equip you. I'm going to give you a Ferrari. No, no. no. <laughs> That's how we do it. But when it's peculiar and strange, when it's through a non- traditional avenue. Do we listen? Unbelievable. Balaam. But what about the, the burning bush is a wonderful example for me. That's the second example I want to give you of an unusual way. But, you know, the, the, the burning bush in that context is found in Exodus chapter, in fact, chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3, the burning bush in that part, in that part was actually tumbleweed. You know what tumbleweed is? You've seen Cowboys movie, John Wayne? And tumbleweed is actually dead vegetation. It's completely dry. There's no life in it. So what happens is it loses its ability to be grounded to be grounded with roots because it no longer has roots. So it curls up because as it dries up, the molecular structure of the agricultural makeup of that thing, you still with me, <laughs> right? What happens, it deforms. So it loses all its elasticity and ability to be long because what happens when the sun shines because of photosynthesis, it elongates in order to receive more energy from the sun and then make oxygen, Right? And then at night when there's no sun, it, con it contracts and becomes sm smaller. You have some flowers that do that. You've seen that? So tumbleweed is completely dead and completely dry. It has lost its ability to even seek life. And what happens is the wind blows it all over the place. So God is so, God is so mysterious, but he's so, he almost has a sense of humor. Moses, the guy who slapped the water and it split up. Moses, who confronted the Pharaoh with incredible feats of, of what was called magic back then, but it's really God just working through Moses. All of a sudden, he uses something dead to speak to him. Something with no potential to even seek life. Speak, you've heard it. That friend, that neighbor, that loved one, that you know they're living an absolutely crazy life as far away from God as they can be. 
they'll look at you and they'll tell you, God has something in your life. Dead, not even looking for God. And God uses the tumbleweed of the world. It says that Moses was there. And for me, the second fascinating thing, last time I checked, tumbleweed plants don't have voices. And yet God put vocal cords in there to bring him a word. In both these instances, are you still have your seatbelt strapped together? Help your neighbor right now. In both these instances, God spoke to Balaam specifically and exclusively, and he spoke to Moses specifically and exclusively. We wait for a word to the church. When God has a word that is for you, he wants to speak to you in private. He wants to tell you what he has to tell you when you are alone with him. But we're expecting God to, spy, uh, to spew out a word that everybody can hear. Because those are the words that feed our ego. Those are the words that elevate us in the eyes of the people. But when God wants us to be transformed, he, strives, he starts to take away the pieces of our lives. The pride. The feeling that we're super special and God only speaks to me directly in front of other people. No. Here we find that the word of the Lord came directly to them. So many of you here and those watching me on the other side, you've been through those experiences that you're home by yourself and all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, the Lord speaks to you. So we find these two unbelievable, unbelievable, unbelievable places that God speaks. But God also speaks to us in the place of our fear, loneliness, and depression. Depression is an interesting thing, an interesting medical or mental health situation. The church oftentimes labels that as you're far from God, you're sinning. I'm here to submit to you that depression is part of the cycle of life. We find in scriptures replete with examples of individuals, and I'm going to use one right now, that they had symptoms of depression. If you just analyze it simply from the psychological first aid that we use to see if someone is disconnected, especially when they become suicidal. That was the case that we find with, uh, uh, in the text here with, in 1 Kings chapter 19. That the prophet was running away. He was afraid for his life. He was going to be killed. He felt threatened. He felt alone. In fact, he, he was so bad, he went and hid in a cave. Come on. We've gone through situations where you want to just get underneath a rock so nobody... I'm going to get, go someplace where nobody will let us see me again. In fact, even the cry and the prayer, Lord, why don't you just come right away and take me? That's escape. We want to get out from the pressures of life. We all have been there in some degree or another. The key there is not to stay there, but we've all been there. And we find here the man of God all of a sudden feels threatened. And he runs away because he's filled with fear. He goes by himself. And you know that he was depressed because he started to blame others for his plight. And we got to get away from blaming others and start owning up to our stuff. Yes, it was because you had a rough childhood. And we end up blaming those folks that were there. They did the best that they could in the situation that they were in. But there comes a point where we have to own our stuff. And we find here that the man of God all of a sudden was in a mess. He even desired to die. He didn't want to be there. He says, it's the others, what they did. You forgot about me, God, and what they did to me as well. Oh, me, oh, my. I'm the victim. I'm the victim. I'm the victim. It says that while he was there in a place of fear, loneliness, and depression in that cave, it says that God showed up to meet him alone and talked to him alone. And it says that the Lord told him, go and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by. 
And the great powerful wind was tearing out the mountains and breaking the rocks into pieces before him. In other words, the surroundings was being decimated, but notice that the wind did not touch the man. Yes, you feel like your life is falling apart, but God has every right to touch you, but yet he doesn't because he has a plan over your life. So he says, he says here that the rocks were breaking out, the pieces all over the place, but God was not in the wind. And then after the wind, an earthquake came, but the Lord was not in the earthquake, it says. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And that, by the way, all these examples are what people were used to seeing and hearing and understanding about Jehovah God, the God of Israel, speaking to the people. God doesn't function that way anymore in this new uh, gospel era that we're living but that's the way it was back then. So it had to be God, had to be God's voice in this incredible display. Verse 12 says that after the earthquake, fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. Let me, let me tell you, when God has something significant to tell you, and everything that God says is significant, but the stuff that we need to work on right away, He never yells. Never yells. The thing is, there's so many other noises that we don't hear His Soft voice. And God speaks softly to your heart. Not to your spouse, not to your family members, not to the pastor, but to you specifically. You know what you need to do. You know which way to go. And it isn't in this demonstrative display. We think that if so-and-so comes and rents out, well, they can't do it now, but rents out Yankee Stadium... God is definitely going to speak to me there. God might be speaking to you by someone that has no title, never took a microphone, never spoke before an audience. God could use that person to speak to you in a and has already in a silent whisper. You have a responsibility before the Lord to work on what God has already told you in your life. And oftentimes we want God to not only call me, put me in the right track, speak to me, but also, Lord, can you take care of the rest of the stuff? Because I'm busy. i got to get back on Facebook. When the Lord called me to pastor. The first time a public prophetic word was spoken over my life regarding pastoring was in the early 70s, mid-70s. And it came through a pastor. That he used to be the pastor of uh, the Church Sea of Galilee. And he spoke publicly about the call of God to pastor. At that time, at that time I was not in corporate world yet, but I was working. I was doing my, and then there's no pastors in my family. So I heard it and it seemed confirmed because the Lord always speaks to you privately but then there's a public utterance that confirms in my opinion. And so now that was a public display of what I was already battling with God for a long time because I used to tell him, no God and you know churches don't pay and how am I going to feed my kids and how am I going to live and you know and all this stuff and pastors they get beat up even when they do the right thing. This is my, the way I was thinking. I was going to say I don't think that now but I scratch that for <laughs> <laughs> hey, you want me to lie to you? <laughs> and, and I remember back then that I had this, this, this thing was stirring in my heart, but it was the first time publicly. What did I do? Go and, 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 uh, and forget about it? Or worse, act what that prophetic word, because it was the right prophetic word, but it was not the right timing for me to come out. And what I did from that point on, mid-70s until the time when I actually became here pastor I'm here in the church in 77 and then where I am today and I'm doing it still today it's in fact yesterday I was reading and I'm, I'm in the middle of a book that I'm reading again 
I've, I've explored ways of making myself ready to receive what the Lord has spoken. See, God speaks over your life, but you got to stop the excuses and you got to engage. It's like when I tell people that say they have the gift of prophecy. You cannot have the gift of prophecy if you have not read the prophets in the Bible. There's just no way. You can't be serious. You can't, be, you can't have the gift of healing if you haven't studied the miracles in the Bible. Just go to John and figure out the seven signs. He doesn't call them miracles. He calls them signs, of, of signs and wonders. If you haven't read that, in fact, how can you be a pastor and never open this book? So from that point on, I engage the word of the Lord. And this is what I think applies to our church today because what does this all mean to you and to me? I engaged it to make sure that I was ready until this day. I don't feel, I've been pastoring, I'm in my fifth decade, and I don't feel like I've arrived. Don't, don't get scared. Some say, oh, he's going to be pastoring until like seven decades. No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. No, I realize that were it not for the incredible mercy and grace of God, I would not be where I, knowing what he knows about me, that he fills up the gap and then he covers me, so in order to do what I do, I have to make sure that I'm always engaged in making myself better. That's what we need to do. This year, as we hear the Lord, as he speaks to our church and speaks to you personally, we have to have a game plan to work that out. We have to have a strategy of A, B, C, and D. You don't get better simply by going in and taking a cold shower. You've got to start doing things in your life. I had somebody call me the other day and said, Pastor, I'm interested in, in furthering my studies in, uh, in, in biblical stuff. Uh, they're not from this church, somewhere else, but they, I, I want to expand. And my reaction, and my, my reaction was, okay, tell me, churches aren't meeting, but have you been going to 21 Days of Fasting? Have you been going to the services? Have you been listening to pastoral reflections? Have you, I'm thinking this way in, in our context. And I did share with them. I said, well, how, what has been your participation? No, 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 I'm not participating. I can't. You can't. Let me, let, me, let me open the door to you for, for experience. The same obstacles that you find now in, in this COVID, every single one of our pastors go through. You know, let me tell you another truth. It was cold today, right? The pastors felt the cold too. And we felt the pillow being very attractive this morning. Is there a hallelujah, at least from the pastors? <laughs> and we don't complain because we know, because we want, we want it easy. Paul said, follow me in suffering. Paul said, follow me in suffering. Before you met the Lord, you navigated by yourself. Now that you know the Lord, he walks beside you. And the last place that God speaks to us is undoubtedly through his son, Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. God, after he spoke long ago, to the fathers in the prophets and in many portions and in many ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us through his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he made also the world. We're living in a day where you can say you're everything that society will accept, but the moment you say that you have an affiliation with Jesus Christ, people look, like, look to you like you have a terminal disease, like you're unenlightened. And we're living in a time when the church is actually acquiescing to that. And we belong to another kingdom. 
We belong to Jesus our Lord. He is how God is speaking to us. The Word was made flesh. And we need to realize that God speaks to us all the time through His Son, who He has appointed heir of all things, and who He made the entire world that we live in. Don't let anyone silence your Christian. But we are Christians. The word Christian, the, deri- the root derivative is Christ. We are Jesus' followers. That's who we are. This church is called Primitive Christian Church. Not Primitive Christian or Primitive something else. We are Primitive Christian, and that's what we do. That's who we are. We need to realize that God speaks to us that way. So, in life, whether you look, turn to your right or to your left, that small voice you hear behind you is saying, this is the way, walk in it. I want, I want us to listen to a, a song right now that is going to speak to us. And let's just, if you want to close your eyes, just meditate on the lyrics and what we're going to hear in a few moments. And then right after that, you're going to hear my voice because I want to lead you in a prayer that God will open our ears so that we might be able to hear what he has to say. Let's listen to this worship song before the Lord. Well, let's pray then, and then we'll listen to the song afterwards. It's called Speak, Lord. Why don't we stand at this time, and right after the prayer, the song will come on. And we'll stay standing, Lord. Father, I come before, lift up your hands with me like this. Father, I come before you with this precious congregation today, those on the other side of the camera, to thank you, Lord, for guiding us down this path this year of being trained to hear your voice. I pray, dear God, that your intent over our lives, your plan and purposes for our destiny, that we might be able to once again hear your voice. Help us, Father, that we might remove all of the distractions because you definitely have a word for us. You sent that word toward us, but our ears might not be in a place to be able to hear and insert it in our lives. I know you want to speak to us that we might be a better person, a better husband, a better wife, better father, better grandfather, better individual. I know you speak to us, Lord, because you want us to be more responsible and continue to develop and grow and be transformed by the power of your word. So, Father, we have our hands lifted up and we're saying, Lord, speak to us. Whisper into our hearts. Whisper into our minds. Help us hear, Lord, individually that that you have for us. Maybe we packed up a dream and put it away. It'll never happen. Too many years have passed by. But Lord, revive that dream once again in our lives. Maybe we've walked away because we didn't feel ourselves equipped. Revive in us, Lord, once again the desire to increase our capacity. Maybe, Lord, we, 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 we were filled with fear because the timing wasn't right. Speak to us. Maybe we're hearing the fireworks of prophetic stuff happening all over the place. 
when we need to be listening to your small and still voice. Speak to us, dear Lord. Speak to us, dear Lord. Come on, say that. Keep your eyes closed, hands up, and say, Speak to me, Lord. Speak into my life. Help me, dear God. Speak into my life, Lord, is my prayer. Grant us the direction. Clear the path, Lord, as to us.